Strategic Living with Brian Holmes, episode number 85. A wonderful interview with my new friend, Matt McWilliams. Hi, this is Michael Hyatt from michaelhyatt.com, and you're listening to the Strategic Living Podcast with my friend, Brian Holmes. Welcome, everyone, to the program today. My name is Brian Holmes, and yes, you have found the Strategic Living Podcast. And yes, around here, we are about transforming minds, developing leaders, awakening dreams, activating destinies, and mobilizing people to change the world. Well, it's going to be an awesome program today. In fact, Uh, I have a new friend, someone that I've been talking to for a while now, but I want to introduce him to you, Matt McWilliams. He is so passionate about the work that he's doing, leading with purpose and leaving a legacy. Going to be a fantastic interview. I hope you can join us for it. Let's get started, everybody. Well, thanks for being with us today on the program, and as always, deeply honored that you would take the time to be with us here on the Strategic Living Podcast. Well, it is not really that often that I have the privilege of introducing you to someone that's new to me, a new relationship in my life, but a while back, I heard Matt McWilliams being interviewed on my dear friend Ray Edwards' program, his podcast. And I just recognized a certain sound. And by that, I mean, you know, when you hear someone, you hear their story, you hear their philosophy, you hear the way they talk about life and about success and about possibilities. You just know that they're a kindred spirit. And man, as soon as I heard this episode, I shot off an email to Ray and I said, please, if you don't mind, introduce me to Matt. Within just a few hours, he had sent a mutual email, and before you know it, Matt and I had connected. We had a tremendous conversation on the phone, just personally, just hanging out, getting to know each other, and we really hit it off. So I said, man, you just got to be on our podcast. I I want people that listen to us and hear us to know you, and I want you today to be introduced to someone that I really believe is a world changer. In fact, Matt is an author. He is a speaker. He is a coach, a consultant. He does a lot of business consulting, prolific podcaster. His podcast is one that I have subscribed to now and listened to every single week. It's the World Changer Show. Now, you think I might want to plug into someone who is a world changer? You better believe it. And his tagline for the podcast is live with passion, lead with purpose, and leave a legacy. Let's go right now to my interview, my conversation with Matt McWilliams. And we're talking about something that I think you might find a little bit familiar. Matt McWilliams, man, welcome to the Strategic Living Podcast. Great to have you on the program today, man. Oh, Brian, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. 
we've been trying to, to make this happen for a little while now, and uh, we met through our great mutual f- friend, Ray Edwards, and in fact, I reached out to him and asked him, please introduce me, and then as it turns out, you had been tracking me on some levels, so it just was one <laughs> of these great connections, and we had a wonderful conversation here a few weeks ago and just knew that there was a connection, so I'm really grateful that you've taken the time to be on our program. Well, like I said, I'm I'm excited to be here. I'm I'm so glad that we finally connected too. Um, like you said, I mean, you were you're somebody that I've been looking up to in this space. And uh, when Ray sent that introduction, it was kind of like I felt like, and I didn't know, I didn't actually know that that you were you were seeking me out in that way. So I kind of feel like we were both like the. Uh, I'll figure out which one's which. We were like the guy and the girl at the dance, and neither one of us would ask each other out. And then finally, somebody just says, "Can you two just dance together?" Okay, that's so I'm that's glad. awkward. That's just awkward. Yeah, I know that's really awkward. But I'm glad <laughs> Ray Ray played that role of matchmaker there. Absolutely, man. Well, tell us a little bit about Mac McWilliams. You are, of course, as we already mentioned, you're the host of an incredible podcast, The World Changer Show, and I've been listening to it religiously since I I found you, and uh, I'm just so impressed with the kind of work you're doing. I see a lot of commonality between what we are believing in and working toward and trying to serve people in. And tell us a little bit about how you came to be Matt McWilliams, the the life that you live, the work that you do, the podcast, all of that. Well, it all began in a small town in North Carolina, Brian. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, But it did begin in a small town in North Carolina. And, you know, I feel like, sadly, you know, it's one of those things where growing up, I thought I was I thought I was kind of one of those outliers and not in a good way, not one of those dots on the graph that you go, who's that guy and how do we get to be like him? I was one of those, I felt like I was one of those dots on the graph that was like, you know, who's that guy and how do we get away from him? You know, because I, I unfortunately now I realize how just common my story is, you know, born in a average sized town to two parents, one of whom my dad left when, when I was two. And I grew up in a, in a single parent household with a single mom who, you know, I always say she worked three jobs to keep us on the right side of the tracks, but I could see the tracks from our bedroom window. And, you know, she, I didn't see my mom that much. She was an absent mom, not because she didn't love me and not because, you know, she wanted to be absent. She wasn't, she was absent because she really had to work 16 hours a day just to keep, you know, Mm -hmm. a roof over our head and food on the table. And, you know, I had kind of this weird thing that happened when just a week before my ninth birthday, I went and lived with my dad. And so I just, I went from, you know, living in a female headed household to a male headed household, but my dad had his own problems and my dad was an alcoholic and it was another one of those things. I didn't realize my dad was an alcoholic until after he passed away years ago. Like I, I just, I, I was, maybe I was afraid to admit it. I don't know. And, you know, but I, I grew up and I was always kind of, I, I was very blessed with, I think, a natural aptitude for just academics and, you know, remembering things and getting through, you know, I was really good at school, basically. I was good at playing school is what I would say. And so I was kind of the kid outside of the occasional time when um, I would argue with my teachers over a spelling test you know, like, no, that's really how you spell that word. And they're like, no, it's in the dictionary, Matt. And then I would, I would raise hell and, you know, I'd try to climb out windows and I, and I there's those, all these weird things that kept happening in my life. And one of them was that I had this underlying anger problem, but again, something I w- wasn't ready to admit, just like I wasn't ready to admit that my dad was an alcoholic and, um, you know, went through life, like I said, doing well in school, started playing golf when I got uh, in eighth grade and got really good, really fast. So good that I, I had a scholarship to the University of Tennessee and I went to, to UT to play golf. And I discovered this weird thing in college. And, and that is that 
nobody makes you go to class in college. You see, my <laughs> entire life prior to my senior year of high school, somebody drove me to college, whether it was a bus driver, my mom or my dad, or I lived like a half mile from the school. And the thing is, when you're in third grade and you don't go to class for like three days, they call your parents. Right. <laughs> you know, like, where's Matt? Uh... I don't know. <laughs> He's supposed to be in class right now. So I always went to school. Well, I discovered this weird thing in college, which was nobody made me go to class. So I'd sleep in and then I'd wake up and, oh, well, I've only, you know, I've missed two classes. So why should I go to the third? Right. And so they didn't like that. Um, meaning both my professors didn't like me not showing up for class and my coach didn't like getting calls from my professors. <laughs> and so I essentially um, was offered the volunteer opportunity to leave college <laughs> without a, without a degree. And it was uh, a fancy way of saying I dropped out um, or was forced to drop out and forced to get kicked out of school. So I left and played professional golf for a year and um, had really bad tendonitis in my left arm. So bad though, that I eventually made the decision rather than to have surgery to correct some bones in my wrist that I was going to quit and went on to become the world's worst golf instructor but here's what happened, and this is where this all connects, is, is I learned something when I was the world's worst golf instructor, is I would do this online marketing thing and over the winter. And the purpose of me doing the online marketing was to get people to come to my golf schools. There's a problem with that. I hated teaching the golf schools. Mm. The plus side was I loved the marketing. Like, I, I mean, literally, like every day, Brian, I'm going yes, I got a thousand dollar golf student and I paid five bucks to get this person. Oh, now I have to teach him how to play golf. And so it was this weird like dichotomy. You know, I'm so excited about the success. How, how is that not a success? Make a thousand dollars, spend five. But it's a, it's terrible because I have to teach this person how to play golf. And I had always resolved in life. I was never going to teach old ladies in purple sweaters how to play golf. And I literally, I remember texting my friend and I said, who we both agreed we'd never do that in life because we were going to be professional golfers or we were going to do something else. And I texted him one day and I said, dude, my life is over. An old lady in a lavender sweater just showed up for a golf lesson. <laughs> oh, and and he, and I don't remember, he texted me something sarcastic back. And, and so I, I, I kind of like made the decision. Okay. I've got to not do this. Well, my dad made that really easy by firing me. And so wow. I got fired by my dad, which is the beginning of my journey as the one of, one of the few people on the face of the earth who's been fired four times, twice by the same company, once by my own dad. And uh, the next 10 years are kind of a blur. And here I am today. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, just going back to your childhood, there were a couple of major things that you were dealing with, even though you might've been unconscious of them back in the day. Uh, you know, your, your mom being basically a single mom, your dad passing early, uh, your, your mom working hard, providing for you, not knowing your dad was an alcoholic before he passed. Just, there was a lot of things obviously that were being absorbed, uh, that had some kind of bearing, I'm sure on, on your life as you came into your college years, for example. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that I, when I look back on when I was a kid, um, you know, my mom and I, we, we, we kind of, we moved a lot. I moved 13 times by the age of 14. Gosh. Mm. Most of that was with my mom. But even when I moved to live with my dad, you know, I, we moved down the road right after I moved to live with him because I needed a bigger place. And then after that, he got a, a huge job opportunity. And so we moved to 
uh, a condo for a year and then we moved across town. Then I switched schools and then, you know, then we moved. And I finally in high school got to settle for actually four straight years, which was amazing. But, you know, one of the things I remember growing up was, it was how we would drive, like my mom and I would be driving down the street and we lived in an area of the country, which is this weird area. People may know if you're a golfer, Pinehurst, North Carolina. Oh, sure. And Pinehurst in and of itself is very wealthy, but the other side of the county, so to speak, it's surrounded by the, the not so wealthy of the world. And I remember one day very specifically, we're driving through Pinehurst on our way to the trailer park that we lived in. And, and I just remember seeing these homes and, and like today when I look at them, they're not like super nice, but they had nice yards and they had, you know, they had paint mm. <laughs> and they had a roof that looked like it probably hadn't collapsed at any point in the past decade. And they had all these nice things and they usually had a nice car out front, which of course back in the eighties, you know, meant that it was like a Lincoln that could also serve as like a, you know, it could serve as a tank in the army. And, you know, they, they had all these things. And I remember driving past those homes. I always used to just say to myself one day, like one day that's going to be the house that I have. And I'm going to have those things. And the funny thing is, is now like the way that I keep changing the target because I've surpassed that. You know, like mm-hmm. my house is nicer than the homes that I said one day about when I was a kid. But, you know, I, I always had that belief. I don't know where it came from. I really don't. Um, I wish I could pinpoint something that said, you know, somebody empowered me. But I just always had the belief that like one day I would I would do better than what I was growing up in. And, um, you know, I, like I said, I wish I, I wish I could say that it was something somebody said to me when I was four years old or some subconscious thing. I, my personal belief is that it was just a, it was a God thing. Like, yeah. I, you know, that he was the voice that was speaking to me. It wasn't an individual. And I always just knew that one day something better would be on the horizon for me than what I was growing up in. I often talk about on our program here and in the work that I do, uh, we talk about limiting beliefs. We talk about mindsets. We talk about, you know, even, even identities that we take on in our younger life. And so, you know, these, these beliefs, these environments, these things that we have to deal with, traumatic situations, what have you, they kind of form our, our view of ourself, our view, our view of our worth, our value. But there's this contradiction because deep on the inside, there really is uh, that voice my personal belief is is that it's it's the destiny calling to us because I, I my philosophy is is that before we're ever born, really everything that we're ever going to to accomplish or should accomplish based on our the plan, the big plan, I believe it's already set in stone and I believe it's ours for the taking. So we have this incredible internal destiny and it's it's calling to us, but then we have these things that we've come to believe. And uh, I, I know I've heard you talk a little bit about limiting beliefs lately, and we've been spending some time on our program about that. So through this process, what did you find yourself grappling with by way of limiting beliefs? Well, again, kind of like the grappling with my, you know, coming to the realization that my dad was an alcoholic or, or coming to the realization that, you know, that one day, as I talked about, that like it, the, the bar was always going to move. Um, those are things that, you know, I had to, I had to grapple with in life. But the, you know, the, the two things that really come to mind when, when anyone asks me that question is, um, again, those very subconscious type things. 
Because I think that's where all of our limiting beliefs come from. Absolutely. It takes us a long time to pinpoint those. And that's one of the one things that I do with like personal one-on-one coaching clients is actually coach them through the process of getting to those limiting beliefs. And like, okay, what are the ones that are actually holding you back? Because most people, until you really get to the root of it, they don't understand that the limiting belief they have that says, um, you know, I, I can never be a writer is not because somebody just flat out came out and said, you suck at writing. That's not, that's not how it happens. So, so my example, and the two examples in my life, the first one is for the longest time, and I still struggle with this today. Like just today, I can't remember what happened, but something happened. And I remember just having that feeling the world is against me and God just hates me. And where that came from, the strangest place is my eighth grade social studies class. Really? And for the life of me, I think it does. That's how I've identified it. For the life of me, I don't remember her name. I don't remember my eighth grade social studies teacher name. I remember a lot of teachers I've had in my life. The good ones, I remember their names. And I even remember some of the really bad ones. I don't remember her name. That's how inconsequential inconsequential she is to my life. I can't even tell you her name. But I remember something that happened towards the end of the year. She was giving out the class awards. And so you think about like, what are the class awards? Best studier, hardest working, most improved, you know, most dedicated, things like that. The award I got, the Murphy's Law Award. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, teacher of the year, right? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Now, here's the thing. Like, let's give her credit. Because again, I don't remember her name. Well, Mrs. So-and-so. I don't know what she meant by that. She might have meant, it took me me years to figure out that what she might have meant by that was, Man, Matt, everything went against you this year and you still persevered. Mm. That's not how 13, well, I was 12 years old. That's not how 12 year old Matt took that. Matt took it as everything is against me. The world is against me. And it even, and like I tied it back, the strangest thing, I, I literally just remembered this recently. I tied it back to something my mom used to sing to me when I was a kid. And again, she didn't mean it the wrong way, but it, it was planting these seeds in my mind. She used to sing, sing a song to me called You and Me Against the World. Mm. So I'm, I'm, if I'm against the world, then what's the world against me? Against you, sure. What's the world? The world is everyone. And what's the, you know, it's, it's God, it's, it's creation, it's everything. And so what that meant in my life was when the little, like you talk about not crying over spilled milk. I didn't cry over spilled milk. I spilled the milk and went on a tirade. And I still have the ability to do that today. I'm not even close to being all there, but like spilled milk and, you know, there are things I can't repeat on this show that would come out of my mouth. And I mean, I like, I just, it, it wasn't, I didn't have an anger problem. Anger in and of itself isn't bad. I just wrote a post, uh, did a podcast about this recently about anger is one of the, the common traits among all great leaders. Moses was angry. Oh yeah. Martin Luther King was angry, but that's a whole different topic. I didn't have an anger problem. I had a rage problem. Mm. And I mean, it, it was bad. And until I started identifying that really what it was, was this limiting belief that said, I won the Murphy's Law Award. It's you and me against the world. And the world is against me. And everything that goes wrong in my life is a byproduct of just the world hating me and God hating me and everyone's out to get me. And that sounds extreme when you like, when I say it out loud like that, I'm like, wow, Matt's kind of crazy, <laughs> you wow. know, but it's, it's true how that was implanted in me. And then Another example, this, this cropped up in the past you know, couple of years is you know, going back to what I mentioned earlier about moving 13 times in 14 years before finally getting to settle down a little bit is what that created for me without me really knowing it was I'm just easily unsettled. 
Now, the, the, there are so many positives to moving 13 times in 14 years. I'm easily adaptable. Change doesn't bother me. You know, you could like, I'm perfectly fine when a client, when, when my contact at a certain client changes every six months, everybody else freaks out. Like I had such a good relationship with someone. So I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know, like I'm very adaptable. And I, th- I, I always say I thrive in chaos. Like I prefer chaos because that's how I work better. Sure. The downside is um, we've lived in the same home for almost four years. Like I'm kind of ready to move. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm like, what does that do for relationships? Like I have one friend that I've had for more than three years. And thankfully we've been friends for more than 20 years now. I just kind of, I feel like I'm just unsettled and what's next, what's next, what's next. I'm like, like, I, wow, I've been doing the same thing with my business for seven months. Let's just change directions. You know, that's, that's not healthy. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so, but that limiting belief says, I can't settle. I can't stay in the same place for more than four years because that's the longest I've ever lived in the same dwelling for my entire life is about three years, eight months. It's the longest I've ever lived in the same place. And now we just broke that. So what does that mean? And so those are, those are the things like, and I say limiting beliefs, it's not, I'm never good enough. It's not general stuff like that. It's usually stuff that's very specific and it's usually tied to some event or events far in your past, not something that happened six months ago and digging that out and going through that process is, is ultimately where we find that we are able to get rid of those, those limiting beliefs. And, and and it's a process of healing, but it's also a process of empowerment. Absolutely. I was just recently listening to a uh, program that I bought off of Audible. I, I listen to a lot of books on tape. I listen to a lot of audio programs from, you know, guys like Brian Tracy and Zig Ziglar and different guys like that. Uh, yeah. 2007, I, I was privileged to sit under the teaching of a gentleman by the name of Lou Tice. He is hmm. the founder of the Pacific Institute, Seattle, Washington. And uh, it was one of those times in my life where what I learned there, what I experienced there shifted me forever. And he dealt specifically, this course dealt specifically with how beliefs are formed, how to reprogram the mind, how to renew the mind, how to uh, press out limiting beliefs. And I just happened to find an audio program the other day on, uh, on Audible called Mastering the Attitude of Achievement by Lou Tice. And I just picked it up and I've already been through it once now, just, uh, powerful. But one of the things he talked about that I found interesting was, because you talking about how you're, you're four years now and you're ready to move. Uh, it's like there are these certain markers that are set in our mind, our deep subconscious yep. mind. And when you cross a particular threshold without having a clue why, you you are now uh, either outside of a comfort zone or you are beyond a threshold where you feel like something has to change or you've got to make something change or whatever. And you don't know why. There's no really reason why. It's just It just is. And he was saying that those things have to literally be reframed. They have to be reframed completely. Or what we tend to do is we tend to sabotage the potential, and I'll use a, a term here that most people don't care for me to use, but the potential blessing or grace or, or benefit of what, you know, working through that need to move, for example, and just staying put and, and seeing what, what what happens if I stay here six years? What happens? You know, it's, it's the what if questions. What if I don't have to move to be happy? What if I don't have to move to be settled and productive? Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
And uh, it just, I, I find what you said about that fasting, that when you came to that four-year time frame, it's like, oh, wait a minute. You know, it's time to change. Something's got to change. And there's no legitimate real reason why it needs to. But it's this internal guide saying, okay, something, it's like out of order, into order kind of a thing. It's like you almost have to throw your life out of order to get resettled again. Am I, am I saying that correctly? Does that sound right? Oh, uh, absolutely. And that, that is, that's exactly what applies to me. You know, it's, um, it's just that, like I said, I thrive in chaos. And mm-hmm. so the beauty of that, the beauty of that is I remember a, a manager, a guy that I used to work for said this to me. He said, when, when, when things are just going so wrong, you know, when, when a server crashes and we're literally hemorrhaging cash by the second, the person we want in charge of that initiative to get things back on track is Matt because he okay. thrives in that position. Like everybody else just freezes up and doesn't know what to do. And I'm like, what is wrong with you people? You know, for me, this is just like, this is life. This is normal. We just, okay, you do like, and I have that weird ability to just be like, yeah, you do A, B, C, and D and this thing will work. I have a loaded question for you. And, and it's yeah. really, it's really a legitimate, sincere question. You, you have an amazing gift to, to step into chaos, step into a scenario like you just described where a business is just in turmoil and you, you can go in and see things differently than the people who are presently paralyzed and deal with it and help them process through it. That, that's a gift, man. That is a gift. My question, however, is how does that translate with relationships, with your marriage, with your kids, with your, you know, the people that are closest to you? How does that translate in that world? Not very well. <laughs> I, I thought that might be your answer. Yeah. I mean, that you know, that's the thing is, like I said, that unsettling feeling. Um, you know, this is something that, you know, I had to acknowledge. It's not something that I, that, like I said, I woke up one day and just went, you know, I really like this feeling. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a feeling that I don't want to have. And it's a feeling I know the roots of now. And I can, Good. and I can look at this and go, okay, let's, let's look at the positives. You know, part of, part of, um, and I've, I've kind of touched on it. Part of the process of overcoming limiting beliefs is to actually acknowledge the positives mm-hmm. about, not just the belief, but the root of those beliefs. So the positive to moving 13 times in 14 years is like I said, I'm adaptable. I thrive in chaos. Change does not bother me. Yeah. 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 You know I mean, I, 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 there are, we all know the example of somebody that when, when a company announces change they they go, their stress level rises significantly. Yeah. You know, oh, like yeah. there are people who go through turmoil at work and they end up in the hospital from change. And I'm like, whatever. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not that I'm comatose. I'm just, I'm so used to it. And so the one, the cool thing about it is, is when we step back and we acknowledge the positives of it, then we can totally focus on correcting the, the, the areas of correction. I don't like to say the negative of it. Yeah. yeah. And that allows us to really hone the liabilities, on that. the things that could be liabilities because of it. Exactly. And yeah. so it's, it's one of those things where it's, you know, it's think about somebody who's bipolar. One of the poles is really good. It's a desirable <laughs> yeah. behavior. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, a, you know, people who are all over the place mentally, they have a, they, some of their traits are desirable. So let's acknowledge that. So then we can really focus on just the negative instead of just trying to, I'm going to just work on the whole thing. And uh, yeah, that's, that's the first step. So as you're walking this out, I mean, and, and you're like the rest of us. Look, I tell people all the time. Uh, one of my big cornerstones for what we do is called personal healing, which this is what we're talking about here. Just processing through 
you know, things we picked up as kids, beliefs we picked up that were limiting along the way, dealing with those, processing, and then building on them. That's just a part of the process, and it never ends. We we it goes in phases. We might we might really deal with a nice layer here, and it really push us forward into more productivity, more success, more whatever. But then there's another layer coming. It just it's just a matter of time, it, and it's an growth is an ongoing process. Uh, one of the quotes that I use very very often is "Living things grow, and growing things change." And the moment that process stops, you're dead. It's just over. Uh, but it, as you're going through this process. Uh, give me two or three things that you are uh, aware of and that you're keeping in the forefront of your mind and you're watching for and that you're processing through. How how are you dealing with these beliefs as they come up and how are you uh, eradicating the limiting phase side of them and then moving into more of a positive application for them? Well, the first thing that I want to do is when I'm going through that process myself or if I'm coaching somebody through it is to identify what type of, of belief it is. Mm-hmm. You know, And what I mean by that is ultimately, you know, to categorize them, I think there's four types of limiting beliefs. And so you have beliefs about yourself, which obviously can be limiting. You know, I mentioned the 13 times in 14 years that I moved, grew up in a trailer park. My dad left when I was two. All of those, you know, my dad leaving when I was two, I never realized what did that mean? It meant that I wasn't wanted. What did moving 13 times in 14 years, it meant that I wasn't stable. What did living in a trailer park mean? Because most people don't live in a trailer park. That's just reality. That's powerful, man. Like, I wasn't good enough. And so that's a, the belief about myself that I had. I'm, I'm kind of getting off the question a little bit, but I no, think it's no, no, this is to identify, like there are other types of limiting beliefs. So when I, when I say beliefs about yourself, it, it's those things that you literally say about yourself. So later in life, when, um, you know, the same thoughts that I was just talking about were worded differently, but they meant the same thing. I, I don't have the right contacts. Why do I not have the right contacts? Because I grew up in a trailer park. Yeah. Um, why yeah, do I not yeah. have the right contacts? Because I moved 13 times in 14 years, so I never developed meaningful relationships. Oh. I don't have enough. I don't have enough money to start something. I can't settle down. Thing is, none of those are true. Like just because I lived in a trailer park, moved 13 times, my dad left doesn't that doesn't define me or dictate what level of success I can have. But I told myself that story over and over again. So for other people, you know, it's uh, I've always been overweight. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's just a statement. I've always this, but it's when you say that's just who I am mm-hmm. or I can't control it. It runs in my family. Uh, one of mine, you know, I, it's easy for me to use. I'm Irish. What can I do? You know, we have bad tempers <laughs> <laughs> exactly. um, or this is, this is a limiting belief, but it's, it's, it's changed just the littlest bit. And it's when it's when somebody says like my whole family is poor. So, and then we compare ourselves to the rest of our family and say, at least I'm better off than the rest of them. Yeah, yeah. Relativity. Is that, what, is that what you've been called to have and do? Or have you been called to abundance? Exactly. You know, just because you're a little bit better off than the people around you, that in and of itself can be a limiting belief. Yeah. And so that's beliefs about ourselves. The second type is, is beliefs about other people. And <laughs> I mentioned that I'm really good in chaos, but there, there's, there's, a, there's a disclaimer, and that is... Um, when stuff goes wrong, I ran around like a chicken with my head cut off. <laughs> and I had a guy that worked for me that, I mean, when I would run into his office and be like, <laughs> and he would sit there and look at me and calmly reach for his notepad and start writing stuff down. And I'm like, 
you're just making me angry, dude. Like you got to start, like show some and like do something crazy. Get up and flail your arms around like me. <laughs> and so I thought he was lazy because he didn't, get, he didn't act ridiculous. Like I did. Like, that's what I thought you were supposed to do when, when chaos, like I'm, I'm good in chaos, but I'm passionate and I'm, I raise my voice and you're going to, you're going to get yelled at if you work for me, you know, when, when there's chaos and, and sometimes that's what's needed. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. The reality is I thought he was lazy, but he was actually super passionate. He just was really calm <laughs> and he wasn't, he grew up in an environment. He was a programmer. He grew up in an environment where he wasn't comfortable express, uh, you know, expressing emotion in a work setting. Okay. And so I had this limiting belief about him that said he was lazy. He wasn't passionate about his work and I was ready to fire him. And it wasn't until we got to actually know each other better that I, I kind of, you know, changed that belief. And so we have, we have these limiting beliefs about others. Of course that holds us back because if we have a limiting belief that says that, you know, someone's too attractive you never ask them out. Uh, yeah. I didn't do that. I didn't do that for a year with my wife, I kind of like watched her from a distance and I was afraid to ask her out because she's like way out of my league. <laughs> and so I had this limiting belief that says she'll never, first of all, she'll never say yes. And if she does, like, where's that going to go? Yeah, You know? And so the limiting belief wasn't about me per se. It was about her and like how people like her are. Mm. She's nothing like I thought she was. She's a million times better. And you know, things like that. Like I, I had a, a limiting belief about um, a lady we hired to, to run a, uh, to be a manager, but she had four kids. And my limiting belief about her says she's got four kids. She can never run this department. Like she's going to just like, people with four kids are always leaving at three o'clock to go pick their kids up from daycare, you know, take them. I mean, like, that's just how people are in that. And so that was the, the belief I had. And then just quickly, you know, you have beliefs about groups. Mm -hmm. Um, the, my favorite one, kind of going back to the Irish thing is like Irish people, redheads are always fiery. No, they're not. I've known some of the most comatose redhead people you could ever, <laughs> you know, it's, it's the, the other example, and this is a terrible, I feel, I feel weird saying this because it's a, um, I don't, I try not to make myself look too bad publicly. Uh, I have a hard time doing that though, is, um, we had this female salesperson, and that we hired. And I kid you not, she made it one day. She was, if there is a mistake you could make in a single day at work, she made every single one of them. And so we fired her after one whole day. And so as a result, I told myself that women don't belong in sales. Oh boy. Yeah. I just lost all the women. I Sorry. Know, right, 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 now, right. Here's the thing. For the next four years, I believed that lie and I refused to hire female salespeople. And then after about three years or so, four years, I stopped, I, our company grew to the point where I was no longer directly involved in hiring every single person in the company. And they hired a woman. And I didn't say anything, but I was like, I know how this is going to go. And she turned out to be one of the best salespeople we ever had. Wow. And so that busted that limiting belief. And now I, I'm, I'm convinced that you know, I missed out on some great saleswomen. Yeah, I was fixing to say, you, dur during those years where you weren't hiring uh, female sales individuals, no telling what you could have missed out on in that time. You'll never know. Exactly. You know, wow. um, men men are always impatient. Men never like to ask for directions. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, there you wealth, go. Wealthy children are lazy. All these great um, generalizations, right? 
And it's about, it's about groups. You know, I mean, one of the ones you're from the South. Um, well, you know, you're from the South. You must like sweet tea. No, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I I'm, don't like syrup on my pancakes, let alone in a cup to drink. I'm, so. from, I'm from Texas, so we wear cowboy boots and cowboy uh, hats, and that's not the case for me at all. So, exactly. Yeah. And then you know that last that and we last say type. and we say we all say howdy. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, our partner, <laughs> a partner. You call it everybody's partner. I'm like, no, it's not. I, I'm, I said that once. I jokingly said that. I was like, yeah, you call everybody partner. And he's like, I've actually, I've lived in Texas my whole life. I've never been referred to as partner by anybody. I'm like, oh, well, you just busted a myth for me there. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But then you know we have the one um, about the world, like just the. I, I say it's about the world at large, yeah. and this is kind of this is sometimes the one that's hard to to get at because people don't like to admit that they think these things because they want to appear stronger than they actually are. But, uh, I, you know, I was listening to NPR, which is a mistake and yeah. nothing against NPR. I, there's some great stuff on there, but I know I should, I just am not personally capable of listening to news without feeling partially suicidal. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And, and they interviewed a guy and he's like, well, with, with unemployment so high, it's just hard for me to find a job. I graduated when the recession started and I'm like, okay, first of all, the recession started in 2008 and we've been out of it for like two years now. <laughs> exactly. Second of all, what does unemployment being at 8% have to do with you finding a job? Because I'm not a math whiz, but that means 92% of the people, even during your recession, were working. Yeah, exactly. And you, I mean, like, what is that? And so he was, he, 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 he was telling himself a story. He based his own ability to find a job on this macro economy. And like there's there's this global situation and like something goes wrong halfway around the world. And I get that there's a thing called the butterfly effect, but just because something goes wrong in China doesn't mean that we're going to hell in a handbasket tomorrow. Exactly. And so we have that limiting beliefs and, and you know, some of the best ones I, you know, I remember a guy I, I worked with and he just said, you know, he said, it's impossible to find good workers here. And I'm like, Dude, you live in Raleigh, North Carolina. There are half a million or more people there. It's, it's like a million people in Raleigh. And you tell me there's it's impossible to find somebody good. Yeah. yeah. Like that's 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 crap. No, it's not. These are stories you know, we then, tell ourselves to excuse ourselves from the work yep. we need to do. Yeah. I said, have you interviewed I asked him, I said I asked him a blunt question. Have you interviewed everybody in, in your county? He was like, No. <laughs> like, how many people have you interviewed in the past year? He said, Twelve. Oh yeah. Like, so no, so so the truth is. 12 people aren't a good fit for you. Shocking. <laughs> I like Shocking. you. I like you, man. You're a straight talker <laughs> like I am. That's why we get along so well. So tell me this. If, if you were going to just give, uh, and this is always a loaded, almost impossible question, but if you're going to give our audience just, okay, look, if you're going to deal with limiting beliefs in your life, here are two or three things you need to just focus on and, and consider so that you can take your life to the next level. What would those two or three things be as far as Matt's concerned? Hmm. Well, I think, um, you know, I, I, there's an attitude that I think the first thing you have to do is adopt this attitude. And uh, probably the best way to describe it is I, there's a, I read an article, went out to a baby appointment. My wife's, my wife's due later this year and we're sitting at oh, the congrats. baby appointment. Yeah, thank you. Um, How did that happen? I, was, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a miracle. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I'm sitting there reading Money Magazine, and um, and there was this there was this little box, like one of those little boxes towards the beginning of the magazine, you know, not a full article, and and it was talking about the one percent, 
you know, the 1% club mm-hmm. that like everybody seems to have this problem with the 1%. The really interesting thing was one out of nine Americans will actually find themselves in the 1% at some point in their life. And the other funny or cool statistic was, I think it was 57 or 53%, one of the two percent of Americans will be in the top 10% at some point in their life. And so that shows you how mobile that group is, Mm -hmm. how pliable it is to be in the 1%. When one out of nine, like you think of the 1% and what that means to me when I think of the 1% is there's a good chance I could go out today and not drive past somebody in the 1%. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if it's one out of nine, the statistical odds are I'm going to drive past multiple people who are in the top 1%. And the point to that is that, you know, really you have to, and this sounds so cliche, but the reason I like statistics like that is they quantify what we all know, which is that we have to believe that big things are possible. Yeah. Yeah. We have to believe that 88% of, I mean, you've heard this statistic before, 88% of first of millionaires are first generation, generation wealthy. Yep. That means that like nine out of 10 basically didn't, weren't handed, they weren't born with a silver spoon. They weren't handed money by daddy. And that's what so many people think. They worked their butt off and got there. So if 88% of millionaires are first generation wealthy, then that means that you have an 88% chance of being well, of being a millionaire, in my opinion, like just statistically. Yeah. I don't know what, I'm sorry if you're in the 12%. Yeah. 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 You know, no, I'm kidding. You know, and and so, and then the other part was the the attitude and this was the, this is a tough thing for me personally, but I I remembered um, a, a, my, my sports psychologist in college, he he had graduated from the University of Virginia and he worked under arguably the number one sports psychologist in the world, Dr. Bob Rotella. Mm-hmm. And I had grown up reading Rotella's books. Uh, Golf is not a game of perfect. And um, life is not a game of perfect. There's another one that he wrote, The Golf of Your Dreams, I think. I, like I said, I was a golfer. And so I'm working with my sports psychologist at the University of Tennessee. And there's Pete Giacobbe, and I think he's moved on to do some pretty cool things at the University of Arizona. And we're on the putting green one day, and we were just—I don't remember how we got on this subject, but he was—it was about the the attitude and belief that no matter what has happened on the last shot, that the next shot is going to be the shot. Like the next shot, I'm I'm going to pull it off, and that doesn't mean be reckless and like you know hit stupid shots that I have like a one in a million chance of pulling off. But to have that has nothing to do with anything that's happened before in that round, because there are times where I'm just like, I'm just off today. So I'm just going to play it safe. I'm going to shoot my, my, you know, many people who play golf and aren't very good will be like, well, that'd be a great round for me. You know, I'm just going to shoot my 76 and get on with my day. And he told me this story when he was at Virginia, I forget the guy's name, but the guy was in, this guy was like, you know, all ACC, all, you know, third team, all American. And there's like a 10 seconds left in the game and he's 0 for 12 on the night. Hasn't made a shot. And they're in the timeout and he, he basically says, coach, give me the ball. I'm like, I want the ball. And of course the story would really suck if he, you know, shot a brick. So <laughs> I doubt he'd be telling me, yeah, actually what happened was he missed and they lost the game. You know, he, he made the shot. And this is the cool part. The reporters after the round, they asked him, you know, they said, like, how do you, how could you demand the ball when you're 0 for 12 in the night? And he was like, I'm due. I was due. I'm a 50% shooter. I was due to make the shot. 
Like yeah. statistically, I don't have a 50% chance of making that. I've got like a 99.99% chance of making that because I'm over 12. And so they turned it around on him and they were like, well, what if you'd made all your shots on the night? What if you were 12 for 12? He's like, I'm hot. I can't miss. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, either way, no matter what the situation, he knew he was going to make the shot. That's great. And it's like the old question when anybody would ask me, what's your favorite golf course? Whichever one I'm playing right now. Yeah. 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 Because if I try, if I try to get into my mind, I can't, I can't put on these type of greens. I don't play short courses. Well, I don't play narrow courses. Well, I can't compete, you know, on this type of course. Why, why even show up? Yeah. So my favorite golf course that week truly is the one I'm playing. Well, that and Pebble Beach. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah exactly. That's brilliant. So tell us a little bit about your website and about the, the services that you provide, about the, the podcast. Give us uh, a quick overview of where people can connect with you so we'll know how to continue to draw on you as a resource. Yeah, well, the World Changer Show is, is a, uh, it's a labor of love. It's something I do. Because I love being able to, you know, connect with people like you, Brian, and, and connect with people like Michael Hyatt and and, and Ray, the aforementioned Ray Edwards, and and Dory Clark and Jia Jang, you know, people like that. I've got an interview coming up with one of the original three people that I was dying to get on my show, kind of like the the stretch people, Sean Acor, who's mm-hmm. written. Um, he has a TED Talk with like twenty five million views, and and I just I love what he's doing in the world, and so it's an opportunity for me. <laughs> quite selfishly to connect with awesome people and get to talk to them, you know, and then I get to share their messages with the world. And then I kind of, I'm like you, you know, sometimes I have interviews, sometimes it's just me and something that I'm passionate about helping people with. And so that's what the podcast is all about is I, I tell, I say at the very beginning, it's about unleashing the inner world changer inside of you because my belief is, and I close every episode with saying this is you were born to change the world. You were born to make history. So believe it, become it and pass it on. And what I mean by that is my personal belief is, you know, I believe that God created us yes. and I just, I cannot reconcile that there is a God in heaven who is creating this world. And he, you know, he puts you and me down here, Brian, like some people say, yeah, that's great. You know, Bill Gates can change the world and, and Brian Holmes can change the world. And maybe they think Matt McWilliams can, I don't know, but I can't. And I'm like, where, where does that belief come from? Because do you honestly think he put Bill Gates and Matt McWilliams and Brian Holmes down here and made them in his image and said, you're going to change the world. And then he looked over and he's like, I got an arm, a torso and a left foot left over. Let me see what I can throw together because I just have spare parts. You're down here to exist. Yeah. That's stupid. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> that's Absolutely not how he crazy. operates. So if we're born to change the world and that's why we're here, then hopefully what this show does is help people get the, the, the tools, the resources, the, the mindset, and the inspiration, because inspiration is important, to be able to, to get the world changer that they already are, get it out of them and out into the world so they can leave the legacy that they were meant to leave. And I do believe if they do that, if people have that mindset and they do that, they're going to live with more passion and they're going to live with more they're going to have more fun in life and life's going to have so much more purpose and meaning and fulfillment and joy, all the things that we want, all because they have that right mindset and inspiration. And then as far as, you know, my site, I mean, my site covers the the same topics. Um, Yeah, go to, I'll give you a a very specific URL, Brian, uh, mattmcwilliams.com forward slash SLP for your show. And it's um, that that worksheet that I kind of talked about earlier, 
workbook worksheet. It's kind of in that gray area. Um, it's, it's something I use with my private coaching clients and I usually take them through it. Like we go through it. It might spend six weeks on it, eight weeks, however long it takes. Some of the slower ones, you know who you are, uh, 12 <laughs> weeks, but <laughs> no, some of the ones with more problems. No, I'm kidding. Can I get six we, months? We, <laughs> you know, we, we go through that and, and it's, it's called learn how to destroy your limiting beliefs. Great. And what I did was I re-engineered that just a little bit where it's, um, it's a little bit longer and it's more of a, what I would call self guided because the reality is everybody who grows, goes and grabs that worksheet, I can't work with you one-on-one. I, I don't have the bandwidth to do that or I'd never get anything else done. And so I know that my ability to, to work with people one-on-one is very limited. I mean, naturally, if I work 45 hours a week and it takes an hour each time, I'm limited to 45 people by, by default. And so this is more of a self-guided one. It's totally free and you can get that. Like I said, it was at uh, mattmcwilliams.com forward slash SLP. Fantastic. Matt, thank you for being on the program, and you have added so much value to everyone listening, and I am just so grateful and uh, certainly intend to do this again often, if that's cool with you. Uh, it sounds great. I, I look forward to it. I, I love this, and uh, just appreciate what you're doing, Brian. Awesome, man. Have a great one. Well, I know that you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did, and uh, Matt was so generous to provide to us a tool that he does with his coaching clients. It's a PDF document, a process-oriented exercise that you can engage in uh, to help you overcome limiting beliefs, identify them and overcome them. I hope you'll check that out at mattwilliams.com forward slash SLP. That's Strategic Living Podcast, SLP. mattmcwilliams.com forward slash SLP. Be sure to connect with him, subscribe to his podcast and his email updates, etc., You can find all the links and info from this episode at brianholmes.com forward slash 085. And uh, we certainly trust that you will share this episode with somebody on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Google+. Let somebody know how it affected you. Well, again, we have a couple of openings for coaching clients. Uh, Go to brianholmes.com forward slash coaching to find out more about how we might be able to come alongside of you and, and help you to go to the next level in your own life. If you'd like to have us speak at your church, conference, or event, just contact us at brianholmes.com forward slash speaking. We'd be thrilled to serve you in any capacity that we can. Well, again, I encourage you to subscribe to our weekly email updates. Subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on Stitcher. And certainly while you're in iTunes there, give us a rating or review. That helps us to get the word out about what's happening here at brianholmes.com. Well, I trust that something we've shared today has blessed you, has challenged you to move forward and to grow in your life. Until next time, know that you are great. The world's waiting on you, the real you, to show up.